everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, yesterday I asked you if we got enough goals. Today I want to ask you, did we get enough penalty shootouts? Oh my gosh, yes, I'm good. <laughs> I'm tapped out for that. You had your fill of penalty shootouts? Yes. I don't blame you. And and defensive... Um, parking of buses (laughs) yes we had two large buses parked outside of the disney what what did you call it jordan the disney what is happening world of sports disney wild world of sports that's what it was tonight wasn't so wild we had two low scoring games a 1-1 draw in regulation between the columbus crew and minnesota united that ended with minnesota united winning in penalties then in the second game the late night cap we had a 1-1 draw after regulation with the portland timbers and fc cincinnati that the timbers go on to win in penalty kicks Let's start at the top, as we always do. Jordan, right. I know this one is disappointing for you, especially because you're you're involved working with the crew, and I know it's disappointing for a lot of other Columbus fans out there. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I think whenever you are involved with a team or play on a team, that there's going to be challenges that you face. And if you're a team that never faces challenges, then you really question, like, who you are. And I think that there was this game was challenging for the crew and they did step up to change some things at halftime. And I think that helped just with the the presence they had on the field, which was really helpful. So they, there was a reaction there, which I think if you're a crew fan, that is a positive thing. But um, yeah, it's just it stinks. Nobody likes losing. right? <laughs> nope. Nobody likes losing Jordan. This game was 1-1 heading into penalty kicks. Minnesota had that goal in the first half of a corner kick and then the Columbus crew get that second chance rebound goal from Jossie Zardes off of a penalty kick. But to me, and to I think a lot of people watching this game, the main theme and the main battle in this game was between Minnesota United's defensive shape and the Columbus Crew's attacking possession. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. So I want us to talk about that battle then. And you can frame Mm -hmm. this, you can frame this discussion two ways. You can look at it from a Minnesota United perspective of what did they do to make life so difficult for the Columbus Crew in possession that only led to them scoring one goal, not really an open play. Or you can look at it from the Columbus perspective and say, why did they have such a hard time breaking through Minnesota United's defensive shape? Uh I want to hear you answer that second question or or have some thoughts on that second question with what you saw from Columbus. And then I'll take things from a Minnesota United standpoint. I thought that it was it was really interesting that the way Minnesota pressured, but without really pressuring Columbus. So they sat in what I felt like was a mixture between a mid block and a low block. This is Minnesota United defending. And when they defended, they didn't really pressure the ball a whole lot as to like, I'm going to run at you really fast like we see the Red Bulls do, and you have to make a split second decision. So what ended up happening is, in in my opinion, the Columbus crew had a lot more time on the ball to make a decision. And with that, they took a lot of time on the ball and it slowed the game down a ton. And what I felt like the crew needed to do is play faster. It needed to be two touch. It needed to be one touch. And we started to see that towards the end of the game is how the crew can move a team from left to right and really start to open up channels when they increase their pace of play. And it's this funny thing that when you don't feel that pressure on you, Joe, as a player with the ball, as a team with the ball, if a team's not pressuring you a lot, you don't feel the need to move the ball faster, right? Because hmm. 
there's no real threat in the other team taking the ball away from you. But what ends up happening, you take too many touches and they then lock off every angle because you then have no pass, nobody to pass to because they have time to defensively shift with how long it takes for you to figure out what you're going to do next. And I think that's what Minnesota did. It was just too slow from the crew because when they did play fast, they broke, they broke down and they created overloads, especially on that right side in the first half. Really, for me, that was the biggest thing. It was just too slow. So I have something else that I thought worked well, but I want to go to you first and, and get your thoughts on Minnesota. Minnesota, I agree with you. They spent a lot of time in that. Is it a mid block? Is it a low block? I think they got deeper in the second half after they had scored the goal and had time to come out of halftime with Adrian Heath. But they're in this defensive block and the key for Minnesota United with how they defended the crew was in how they defended Nagby and Artur. Yep, that's why I'm going like this. I'm putting two fingers up. You guys can't (laughs) see me, but those are the two defenders that were on, those two holding midfielders at double pivot. So depending on how the crew were positioned in possession and how those two members of the double pivot, the only two members of the double pivot, were positioned, if Nagby and Artur were a little bit higher up the field when the crew were in possession, overloading that right side, which they did a lot, especially in the first half, Minnesota had Dotson pressing Nagby mostly, and then had Gregush coming over from the right side of central midfield, he would step up to pressure Artur. And so that would leave Alonso alone in front of the back line, which Caleb Porter commented on during that water break interview he had with the broadcast team. But Alonso largely did well defending that space, which allowed Gregush and Dotson to really step higher up the field to pressure those two midfielders. So that's option one. Mm-hmm. That was when the crew had their midfielders a little bit higher. If they were deeper, though, if Nagby and Artur were a little bit closer to the center backs and one was maybe in line with those players, it was Amaria, the striker from Minnesota United, and Dotson, who tried to pressure those two for Columbus. So depending on the positioning on the field, Minnesota United had plans in place, or their players at least knew what their responsibilities were, to try to limit those guys' involvement in possession. Yeah, especially in building up the possession because I thought one of the things in juxtaposition with that, especially early on in the game, Columbus almost baited Minnesota out of that mid block and tried to get them to come pressure. And then it was even sometimes Tarbell or a center back who was playing beyond that first line of pressure to try to connect with Celerion or Santos to hold the ball up and try to quick connect to find a diagonal ball, whether it was to Diaz, it was typically to Diaz. Because if they could do that quick combination and spring it out to the right side, well, Diaz was in behind with his pace and then Zardes could continue his run centrally. So it was really about bypassing that pressure on those two holding midfielders. But if they didn't do that quick enough, again, it wasn't any lo- it wasn't there any longer because Minnesota just dropped back. It was like this false they would make you feel like they were gonna high press you, but then they wouldn't really high press you. Minnesota United are a pain to play against. And I mean <laughs> that in the best possible way, right? It sounds it sounds like I'm taking a shot, but I'm not, because it works for them. Adrian Heath brings out the we're the underdog narrative over and over and over again. And it fits with how this team plays. They yeah. want to play against the ball. When they're in possession, you can tell they're not comfortable. They don't know how to position themselves or they haven't had the experience and the training to set up to be a possession team because they're not. And it works for them. They play against the ball. They go after you in transition. They get shots and and chances from set pieces. And it makes life difficult for teams like Columbus, teams like LAFC. 
Minnesota United is a worse matchup for LAFC than the, than the Seattle Sounders or or than Orlando City, which we're going to see in the quarterfinals. Minnesota United, and I, I feel like I said this before this tournament started, because of how they play, they're uniquely situated to succeed in a tournament like this where players are likely tired, they're dealing with poor conditions, they're struggling to string together passes or, or to keep up with the speed of play like the crew struggled in this game. Minnesota United is situated perfectly to take advantage of teams like that. Yeah, I think especially if they don't allow teams to create the rhythm on the ball that they want to create if they're possession oriented teams. I don't think Columbus got the rhythm that they typically have gotten in these the first three games that we saw them in in the first couple minutes. They do absorb pressure a little bit because they they almost like test out the other team like okay what are you going to do against us defensively when we have the ball or how are you going to pressure us so they almost test out those first at least when I'm watching that's what I see like test out the waters there and then they quickly get into this possession posture and they keep the ball and they move the ball very quickly and I don't feel like Minnesota allowed them to get into that get into that comfortable possession so if LAFC comes out you know if this matchup going back to saying Minnesota and LAFC are, uh, that's a tough matchup for LAFC. If we see the LAFC that we just saw in this last game, hmm. who got, you know, that, that possession early and they were just like, we don't care. We are coming straight down like your throats. Then I don't think Minnesota stands a chance. But if Minnesota can frustrate them for five, six, seven minutes, I think that you're right. It does favor Minnesota. And one one more thing from me on Minnesota United, the different looks that Adrian Heath can give his midfield with Asani Dotson as that pseudo attacking midfielder where he's the tip of the midfield triangle playing largely underneath, defending largely underneath Amaria. That look versus Kevin Molino as the attacking midfielder, you get a very different dynamic. The team plays the same either way, but Molino is more dangerous in transition and you're a little bit more scared of him when he has the ball. Dotson can clog mm-hmm. things up. He can drop into that midfield a little bit deeper if he needs to, or he can stay high and at least shadow a, an opposing midfield player really well and make life difficult for, in this game, oftentimes it was Darlington Nagby. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sad. Let's go to the next game, Joe. Okay, Joe. <laughs> for you, we will move on to the next game. This is another 1-1 tie after regulation that leads to the Portland Timbers winning in penalties The main theme of this game is very similar to the main theme of the game we just talked about. Yes, other things happened. Cincinnati did some different things that maybe, if you'll indulge me later on, I'll talk about, even though they lost this match. But by and large, the pattern of this game was the same. FC Cincinnati played the Minnesota United role, and the Portland Timbers played the Columbus Crew role, with Cincinnati sitting and packing a lot of numbers behind the ball a lot of the game. I saw a stat that Portland had 90% plus percent possession in the first half and I'm like well yeah I saw you know there was moments where FC Cincinnati was defending all within like 30 yards of their goal did you say did you say 90 percent Jordan uh sorry 90 percent plus 90 plus percent passing accuracy I think that's the possession but I meant passing accuracy that makes much more sense I'm with you now wow Jordan (laughs) (laughs) it's true though the way Cincinnati defended was with so many numbers behind the ball in a low 5-3-2 block, even even getting a little bit deeper into how they defended, FCC would stack the middle of the field in zone 14. Sometimes they would have six or seven, occasionally eight if you want to fudge the lines in zone 14 a little bit and extend them <laughs> a little bit wider. 
but they packed so many players into that space to make it as difficult as possible for Portland to break through. And Gio Savarese knew that. He told the broadcast team, I love these water break interviews, Jordan. I love yeah, them they're because so they cool. bring so much insight into the game. But Savarese said, if we try to play through the middle, we're not going to have any success. Uh-huh. He knew that the space wasn't going to be there. So oftentimes it was Portland Timbers attacking down the outsides of that midfield, outside and slightly in front of the, the lateral central midfielders. Diego Valeri oftentimes would pick up that right half space pocket right in front of Frankie Amaya on that side to get the ball and then try to combine. Sometimes he played Jimmy Chara in behind the back line or he and Blanco would combine and it didn't work. It didn't work for the Timbers, but the idea there is sound. You want to go where the space is. You want to go outside those little pockets. You want to go where the space is to open up the space where you want it to be. And exactly. that's what the Portland Timbers tried to do. Well, that those occupying those spaces is going to pull a defender out of what you want to, which you said is zone 14, right? That's the zone right on top of the box. It's uh, the place where you can create and play make. So if you occupy space outside of it and try to pull the defenders from that space to come defend you, then the chances of you being able to create in that space are higher. I, I totally agree. Portland got frustrated though or at least it yeah. seemed that way because as the first I got half frustrated on, watching it <laughs> Jordan and the Portland Timbers got frustrated because as the game will run after the first 30 minutes especially Portland started crossing the ball more and more by the end of the game the Portland Timbers had 40 crosses 40 that's oh. so many what did you say LA Galaxy <laughs> What'd you just say? That was good, Jordan. That was very good. The Portland Timbers, not <laughs> oh, LA, okay. not LA. They have since uh, been eliminated from this tournament. But the Portland Timbers had 40 crosses into the box. It started to look like Cincinnati were going to frustrate the Timbers to death. And it's a 67th minute goal from Nierskoda with a little bit of chaos from Cincinnati that breaks that trend. Yeah. Cincinnati was so good at being disciplined and how they played. And you kind of had a feeling that it was going to take something out of the ordinary, right? Which is mixing up the back line. And and I think that this is exactly what happened. Before we get into the goal, I wanted to ask you this question, Jordan. How difficult is it to do what Cincinnati under Yapstam are trying to do? To sit and defend, not for the entire game, because they had possession, and I want to talk about that once we're through the goals and the general insanity that was the Steve Clark mistake. But how difficult is it to sit in a tight block with all 10 players behind the ball and try to pressure the ball at all times? Because it seems really, really hard. Yeah, it's difficult because when the ball does get into those wider spaces, which you, you saw Cincinnati coming from... In the ball would get switched from right to left and you would see the block have to extend itself, right? Whoever it was going to defend that ball to try to go defend the cross, then sprints out towards the ball trying to block the cross. Well, if it doesn't get crossed and it gets swung back around, well, that person's sw- sprinting back in, right? So I think it's a little bit more tedious for certain players. Um, but more than anything, like, You have to stay plugged in mentally. And I think that's the hardest part of it. And that is sort of what breaks down on this goal sequence that Nieschkoda scores. So Valeri plays Blanco in behind the right side of FC Cincinnati's defense, in space then behind the line. Blanco plays a low cross from inside the box to Nieschkoda, who finishes to make it 1-0 for the Timbers. This goal, though, it comes in the aftermath of a corner kick. And this is where I think the breakdown maybe mentally comes in. This is one of the only moments of disorganization that Cincinnati had for the whole game. The Timbers take the corner. It goes through to the far side. They switch it back to the near side. So it's that horizontal ball movement and the corner kick that destructures Cincinnati 
and leave space for Valeri and Blanco. Cincinnati can't pressure both of them. And that is what allows Blanco to be in space to play that killer ball in the box. I think that's interesting because this is, if if you were training defending corner kicks in a season, right? You would play, you would work on this scenario where the ball gets somewhat cleared and you have to stay in whatever positions you are and you don't really get to switch back to how you want to be structured defensively and you have to defend that way. Well, they haven't really had time to do that. None of these teams have. So I think it doesn't surprise me that things just get a little scrambled and people don't know their responsibilities when they're in different spots. I, I, I hate this transition, but speaking of scrambled, I cannot help myself. Steve Clark is scrambled on this mistake. <laughs> it's the 79th minute, and he he makes one of the most interesting, obscure, strange, awful goalkeeping mistakes that I've ever seen. I don't know if it's just because there's been so many games in such a small amount of time, but like, wow, we've seen some weird goalkeeping things. <laughs> we have. Right? We have, yeah. Tyler Miller with that uh, early anticipation Steve Clark in this game with a heavy touch in the box instead of picking up the ball with his hands. Alan Cruz comes in and pressures him. Clark has to lunge in to take Cruz down instead of just giving up the ball. And Cincinnati get a penalty that Jurgen Locadia steps up to score in the 81st minute. Mm-hmm. I just have a question, though, after the, the end of this. Do, who has the wrestling belt that Locadia showed the camera because <laughs> then Clark saves Lacadia's penalty in the shootout. So is it is it now Clark's wrestling belt? I mean I'm not a wrestling a little... guy, but I think that's how it should work. I I think that's how it works. <laughs> the thing that I just want to mention is I've I've said this a couple of times during this tournament and it, this game is a game of small moments, of focusing in every single detail because you never know what's going to happen. And I feel like this is one of those moments, whether it's um, being overconfident, it's maybe fatigue, it's the time of the game, it's the just decision making in these these small little moments can be a make or break. And, um, you know, luckily for Steve Clark, he had the opportunity to really save his team and that the uh, penalties at the end of the game. But if it weren't for that, like he just cost his team two points in the regular season because of a, a small moment. The margins are so small. Yeah, I said it was San Jose yesterday, but it doesn't just apply to to a team that's man-marking. It applies to every moment from every soccer game, and I think that's Mm -hmm. an important thing to remember as we watch these games. And it's important for us to say, too, because we're analyzing this, these games, as if there's not 85 million other... Honestly, like, 85 million other things that are happening in a game all of the time. Like, we are picking out things, but there's so much that goes into all of these decisions that players make moment by moment, second by second. And I think that is just one of the beautiful things about this game is we could say it should have gone this way and it also could have gone a different way and it would have been a great outcome as well. It's just, it is wild how intricate this game is. I'm with you, Jordan. I am with you. One thing before we close out today's okay. show. I've talked about it. I've, I've alluded to it rather. FC Cincinnati's possession. Yeah, what's with that? They sat deep for so much of this game But they had possession for a good chunk of this game as well. Portland didn't dominate that statistic. When FC Cincinnati got the ball, they actually did some really good things with it. Modunyanin sometimes would drop deep closer to the back line to help receive the ball and create overloads on one side depending on where he dropped. Then it would be some quick passing and movement higher up the field from Amaya and the forwards Regatin and Kubo. Or 
or in the 39th minute, I went back to count the passes. Cincinnati had a 23 pass sequence. 23. That led to a reggaeton shot from outside the box. The shot wasn't in a good spot, but the sequence is a lesson that if you don't apply some pressure on FC Cincinnati when they have the ball, Portland didn't for large stretches of this game. Cincinnati can move it around and actually cause you some problems, which is not something that I expected to see necessarily because they've had the change in coach and they really struggled against the crew in the first game of this tournament. That's one of the things that, so I've been thinking about, okay, teams that have impressed during this tournament, but also teams that I'm like, well, they started something and I'm like interested to know who they're going to be when MLS returns. And Cincinnati is one of those teams, right? Mm -hmm. Because how they transformed from getting whooped in that first game against the crew four to nothing to being in every other game. Whether they won or like this, they they found a way to get a draw. Like they have transformed and they're starting where it counts. You have to start with who you're going to be defensively. And if they can instill some of that defensive structure and build off of there, which is the kind of what it seems like they're doing, especially with that possession that you've noted, uh, it'll be interesting to see who Cincinnati is going to be when the regular season returns. It's It's a little bit of an insane turnaround. And I don't know, we need to see more to see if it's sustainable exactly, and if they're able yeah. to play this way against more teams and not not break down defensively and continue to look at least semi-dangerous with the ball. But for FC Cincinnati, things are on the up, really, really yeah. on the up under Yapstam so far. Yeah. Jordan, we have finished the round of 16. It is officially Whoa. in the books. Up next is the quarterfinals. That starts on Thursday, July 30th which means for us, we have one day off. So we're going to take Wednesday and there will be no show after games because there'll be no games on Wednesday, July 29th. So we'll be back in your ears late on Thursday night or early Friday morning, depending on when you decide to get up and what your sleep schedule looks like as listeners. Over that stretch of time, starting on Thursday, we'll be reviewing upcoming quarterfinal matches between Philadelphia and SKC, Orlando LAFC, San Jose, Minnesota, and NYCFC versus the Portland Timbers. Joe, you know what else I'm really excited about? I We only have one more late game. <laughs> so these 1.15 a.m. podcast records are not are going to be no longer. Does that make you sad? It doesn't make me sad. Jordan, <laughs> for, for our listeners, Jordan is an absolute trooper. She has stayed up incredibly late to get some of these episodes out with me. I'm very oh, they thankful. Know. They hear my slurred words sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, Jordan. Listeners, we appreciate you as well. Thank yes, you for listening. Thank you. And we'll be back again, not tomorrow, but very, very soon.